sure. This is a better investment than you watching TV till 9 o'clock or till 10 o'clock. Now, again, if you go home, don't feel, don't feel condemned if you want to go home and watch a half hour. I'm not saying that. <laughs> we'll talk about, again, condemnation versus the way God works. Um, all right. I wanted to read one, one little uh, from Pastor Lewis Neely. Uh, he's a pastor in California, Warehouse Ministries, and um, this is what he wrote um, in, uh, these are 16 sermons on prayer, um, and Louis Neely's in his early 70s now, so he's preached for many years all over the world, uh, and he, he was talking about, this is a message he preached at his church, he said, someone told me the other day, they simply don't have time to pray. Ten minutes later, they were giving me a detailed account of the last five football games. I don't have time. He says, I will tell you, folks, life will create circumstances where football won't do it for you. Our diversions won't help. Television won't solve the problem. Movies won't solve the problem. Our fun and games and all the things we pursue won't mean a thing. And the wonderful thing is that Scripture says we have a Father who abradeth us not. In other words, we have a Father who won't scold or demean us at the time, but he'll then welcome us and say, even though you've been getting it wrong, I'm here to love you and help you. Isn't that great? It wasn't like God said, well, you know, it's your, your bed, you lie in it. You, you, you said you didn't have time to pray, and I watched you watch all the football games, and I watched you watch uh, all your, your series on TV and everything else, and you said you didn't have... God's not, he's not saying, I am not going to take you now. He's saying, now that you know that that doesn't work... Come, come with me. That's what Jesus said. Follow me, and I will give you rest. I'll make you, your burdens lighter. Because, um, you know, if, if God really does give us that kind of relief, uh, this, is, this is things that people are spending lots of money and visits and time on the, on the reclining couch for and all that stuff. Jesus says, I, I have it. I have with the bread that you need. I have the water that you need. Uh, one last slide that I, uh, before we move to the final two sessions, and that is this, this is, um, and I'm not endorsing all these sites, I'm just saying that uh, the studies have shown complaining physically rewires our brain for anxiety and depression. Complaining. Uh, now, we don't even, we as Americans complain so much, we don't even recognize complaining anymore. We think that complaining would fall into a very narrow category. But it really is pervasive in our life. Oh, I can't believe that car got in front of me. That's a form of complaining. Now, we're all guilty of this. I'm just saying that the Holy Spirit is saying to us, if you want me to set you free, start. Jesus, you would never, if you drive down the road with Jesus, he was driving, you would never once hear him say, oh, I can't believe that car got in front of me. Not once, not once would he say that. Not once would he say, oh, I can't believe I didn't catch that light. These are forms of complaining. I mean, but again, they, now I'm speaking, I know someone who would do this in this room. We won't name who he is. He's standing up on the pulpit, but anyway. Um, but it's a good reminder that a lot of the things in life, they are forms of complaining that we just kind of ignore Right? 
Jesus said, remember, let your yes be yes and your no be no. We have all these, uh, these bad habits, and complaining is one of them, but it really is harmful to our health. It actually heightens anxiety and is rewiring the brain to make us depressed. I can't believe that everyone else has this. I can't believe, and we could just be one thing after another. We start practicing, as uh, Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing, but notice what the verse says. And everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Do you think God knew that it rewires the brain? He threw thanksgiving in it, in the verse. Let your requests be made known unto God. So God wants us to be thankful people, not complaining people, not worrying people, uh, but praising people. By the way, I love this quote about worrying. If you have time to worry, you have time to pray. If you have time to worry, you have time to pray. If you have time to complain, you have time to give thanks. They work the same. So we need to start to exercise that as a response. The Lord say, Lord, if that's what you said you want me to do, you want me to start being thankful and praying and not complaining. If we replace one with the other, by the way, when we do the things Jesus said instead of trying not to do, it's easier to do the right thing than to try not to sin. I will not sin, I will not sin, I will not sin, I will not sin, I will not sin. You'll sin. <laughs> but if you say, I will do these things, then you don't even think about any. After a while, you're like, wow, I don't complain near as much as I used to. Any ever give up cursing? Yeah, I used to curse a lot. I mean, when I was unsaved, matter of fact, and it's amazing, it's not just the blue-collar dudes that curse a lot. I was in the business world. You wouldn't believe how many people give high-level professional business meetings and to add emphasis will curse purposefully because it makes you look that much more stern, in control, in charge. You know your stuff. Drop a, drop a choice word here or there. And it pays for, oh, well, that's deep. <laughs> right? God, God's like wants to throw up when he sees that, you know. It's not. But we were able to give that up. How do we give it up? We knew that Jesus was hearing our conversation. Well, he hears the complaints, and he hears the worries. And so he wants, just like we got rid of the choice words, he wants to get rid of the complaining and rid of the worrying and replace it with thanksgiving and just saying, Hi, Lord, thank you that I get to sit at this light a little bit longer. I'm glad they got through because this is going to help their day better, right? <laughs> All right. Coming to uh, the crux of the matter here, the, the unseen conflict. Um, the unseen conflict. This is where the last two sections, sex, uh, sections here will look at, you know, what, what does God want us to start to apply? And we've talked about a lot of application as we go through, so it's not just one section. We've been kind of building as we go. The unseen conflict. Well, the unseen conflict is the fact that everything really is in the mind. I can't see your thoughts. You can't see my thoughts. We can't feel thoughts. We can't package thoughts. I can't take a thought out. Thoughts are invisible, and yet the impact on the world is very real, right? People that are thinking about murder go murder. You realize this, right? People that are thinking about their fantasies have wreaked havoc on the world. People that are thinking about terrorism do terrorism. 
It'll just think, eventually what we think is exactly what happens, right? We think about the Lord, we think about the things of God, and we will actually become more like what Jesus has called us to be. Now notice the big difference between God's voice and Satan's voice. And we talked about who, you know, who is it that, uh, you know, that is our real enemy. Now Satan can't be seen, he's spirit. Um, God can't be seen, he's spirit. Now, don't try and compare the two as equals. God created Satan and he is going to throw him into the lake of fire at, at the end of the age. But nevertheless, Satan is spirit, he can't be seen. Kind of a funny story, one, one, I think it came, I think uh, someone came up to Warren Wearsby after preaching one Sunday. Warren Wearsby had told, um, he had told the congregation he was going to go away the next week on vacation. And this lady comes up to Warren Wearsby and says, well, the devil don't take a vacation. <laughs> so he said, well, the devil is spirit. He doesn't get tired. Because <laughs> I'm made of flesh just like you. I get tired and need a rest. Uh, but it was funny because she was serious. She's like, you don't go on vacation, you know? And the devil doesn't go on vacation. He's constantly badgering the saints constantly, every which way you can think of, more ways than we can possibly imagine. He's got a force of millions of demons, millions that are wreaking havoc on the world, but yet he really can't touch us. Remember Job? Satan had to get permission to even do anything, to go up to heaven and say, I want to I mess with Job. Well, all right, here's, and I here's what I love about Jesus. Remember he's to Peter? By the way, God will let Satan come after us for a period of time. And he told Peter, he says, I'm going to allow Satan wants to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith won't fail. Now, Peter would have thought his faith did fail, but it actually hadn't failed. Now, because there's a difference between skinning our knees and jumping off a cliff. Peter didn't jump off a cliff, but he did scrape his knees pretty good. Well, in, in God's economy, you know, he wants to comfort us. Satan is the one that brings worry. Now, we have a sin nature, so we can do this even without his help. But he will add fuel to the fire. He adds a lot of the fuel to the fire. Um, the Lord will convict us, but Satan will condemn us. So you can say, well, I, I confess this sin, and I laid it at the cross, and I really, I really don't want to do it. And Satan will continue to tell you, you're worthless. You'll never... You, you know, God's hadn't even forgiven you for that because this is like number 1,822 times you've done this. But God will forgive again and clean us up and send us back out and he encourages us. I mean, you see the list. But there's a big difference between the lies of Satan and the love of God. God really, kids, when they say, they sing that song, Jesus loves me, it's true. Jesus really does love you. He really does love me. He really does love us, even when we say, well, why am I stressed and why am I depressed? Because he is drawing you into his presence. So you're no longer dependent on the thing. And the Satan can actually, if we're really saved, all the buffeting of Satan will just drive us to the cross. If we're not saved, the buffeting of Satan will just drive us to go back to the world. And John wrote in the book of 1 John, they were not of us, for had they been of us, they would have remained with us. 
but they went out from us that it might be made known. Only a dog returns to his own vomit. If you say, well, I've hung on tight, but barely, well, you're, you're in the flock. You know, now God says, now that you've hung on tight, now I want to go ahead and heal and restore and bind and all these things. Um, so, let's take a look at the next thing. Areas of defeat and deception. Areas of defeat and deception. I better put my glasses on. I can see here. I'm not going to go detailed through it. I just want to try to draw to your attention sin habits and idols in our life. Um, God, will, God will identify them in our life. He'll identify... By the way, I can send these slides out for those of you who are taking camera pictures and all that good stuff. This is not an exhaustive list. I have two lists of 13. One is on the negative side and one is on the uh, positive side. We have sins, we have habits, we have idols. In the book of Hebrews, it is laying aside every weight that so easily ensnares us. If you look into your life and say, Lord, what are the weights that easily ensnare, me, ensnare you or my, I? God will show you your... Your bent is different than someone else's. Like, you know, someone else may never be attracted to alcohol, and you might be very attracted to it. Maybe you used to have an addiction to it. I'm, alcohol doesn't attract me. Even when I used, I used to be a bartender, I could have all the free drinks I wanted. It just, it just didn't do much for me. But other things that might were attractive to me are, are not attractive to other people. But even after we get saved, uh, we'll sometimes hold on to little idols, God's like, I don't want you watching that show anymore. Well, I don't know. It's really fun, except for those two scenes that happen almost every week. Right? You know, that <laughs> <laughs> wasn't a once-in-a-lifetime thing. They just they add another one uh, week after week. It keeps coming back. But I just close my eyes during that scene, and I just you know. But maybe God is just little things like we're all guilty of these things, right? That's why we can laugh about them. Where God is saying, look, that's. Something I want you to get rid of. Um, no spiritual growth or word. Um, we have to say, Lord, your word is better than my necessary food. It doesn't mean that, like, again, I, my wife being the perfectionist, I had to get her over this uh, where she would be like, um, and I was sharing this with someone at the break, but my wife would be, if in her mind, a Bible study looks like this plus this plus this plus this. And then something would wreck the morning where she could only, I said, just read it for five minutes and pray for five minutes. God is looking for the sincerity of our worship, not the checkbox of our worship. Not the checkbox of it. When you have time to study for an hour, you really should. But when you don't and you really know that the kids were throwing up and this was going on and the boss was calling or whatever else it is, and you had time to read for five minutes and pray for five minutes, God will hold us accountable for what we did with the stewardship of what was given, not, well, I told you to read for an hour every day. And if that means you have to be late for work, then so be it. That's not what he's saying. So again, spiritual growth, again, that's part of little steps. But when we do have the time, that we can't make excuses when God says, but that was true that day, but today you had the time and you still ignored me and you didn't talk to me and you didn't open my word. So little bits when we have the little bits, but although God will still tell us to make changes to our priorities too. Uh, we'll look at that uh, in, in just a minute. Number three, self-reliant pride and belief and abilities. This is again something that 
maybe some of you struggle with. Uh, I had done. A, I was always self-reliant. When I was 18, the first time I we went skiing, the whole group of my friends went and took the ski lessons. I said, "No way! Give me the skis. I'm going straight to the top of the hill. I couldn't care less. I couldn't care less what these instructors say." I was hauling past everybody. I thought these people are slow, and and then I was like, "How do I stop?" <laughs> For real, I'm not kidding. I was like, I was in a pike position, like going past everybody. I'm like, "These are the slowest people on the mountain," you know, like. This is so easy, and like, you know, because I was kind of cocky and arrogant and all that. And then I was like, how do I stop? I, don't know. I ended up tumbling like I don't know how many times. <laughs> but the only thing I'd ask my friends is, what they say about stopping? That's all I'd ask. So self-reliance is not a good thing. Belief in our own abilities. Uh, number four, constant self-imposed busyness. Wall Street Journal did a great article about this, that Americans all ask any American, they'll tell you they're incredibly busy any American. But then when you ask them to break down what the busyness is, the Wall Street Journal found that tons of their list was self-imposed. It was, it, you know, all kinds of stuff. And they were spending a lot of money on it, too. Money often they didn't even have. Self-imposed busyness. All kinds of, where God says, you know, Jesus was never, he had to manage the universe and never looked busy. <coughs> Walking the earth. And here's walking the earth. He, he was not under this compulsion to do everything and, ev- you know, be here, be there, do this, do that. Just be led of the Spirit, right? What is it God wants us to be focused on? Um, the more we uh, just say, Lord, what, how do you want me to prioritize my life? We won't be near as overextended and we actually can start to extend ourselves to the things that really matter. Uh, number five, isolation. We talked about that. Isolation, lack of fellowship. We all need to be uh, in fellowship with other believers. Uh, number six um, is, I think I have a build on this, yeah. These three are not necessarily things that we brought on ourselves. We, by nature, are weak and, and get fatigued, right? And some people are weaker than others. They just don't have the stamina of other people. Uh, and by the way, that's where you have to be really, uh, if you're in leadership, you have to understand you can't run, everyone cannot run at the same pace. I have to, I, that's something I had to learn over 10 years, of being, you know, that not everyone has the same energy level, not the same stamina. So you have to find an equilibrium that, that the family can move at. Even in your own family, you might have some kids that can get by on six hours sleep and the other kid needs nine. And you got to figure out what is, what is their real needs in life. And not everyone has the same. I know people that can get by on four hours sleep and they're amazing. Thomas Jefferson would get two or three hours sleep a night and he lived to be 80-something. You should die young doing that. But, uh, but he just... But not everyone's that way, and you've got to know if you need nine hours sleep, you need to get nine hours sleep. But some people don't. Some people only need seven. I need like about one hour less than my wife, and so we kind of have to understand how that works. Human weaknesses, understand God, God show me what, how I'm made, and he will. Uh, the second one, um, you can't necessarily, if you've had intense pain, tragedy, uh, what triggered my first ever panic attack was I had a medical procedure and I got claustrophobic. I had never had that before. Matter of fact, that never even bothered me before. I don't know where, but the mind is a strange thing. 
It is a strange thing. And so, um, you know, that was, uh, it was a trigger for me, and it started to spread to other areas. And some of you might know what that's like. It'll spread to other areas. It's actually almost, it's like a cancer, but it's actually this, it's, it's neurons in the brain. It spreads. And if you've had intense pain, if you've had certain defeats, if you've had uh, some kind of frightening experience, it can have a lasting effect. And you didn't bring it on. You were just an innocent bystander that got waylaid. Again, take the people on the, on the road to Westminster Bridge. They were not planning to see you know, some of the things that they saw that day. Well, that can have a very traumatic effect, right? So you can't avoid some of these things. But the question is, can God, can God heal us from them? And the answer is yes, he really can and he can do it without drugs and without all these other things. He can do it by the power of Jesus' name, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God. And then the third one is, again, you can be really doing things right. Job was not living a life of sin, was he? No, matter of fact, Satan said, he's so righteous, I want to mess him up. He was living so right Jesus himself was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Satan did everything. He threw everything but the kitchen sink at Jesus, thinking, if I could make him fall. You don't think that he... So some of our attacks really are... So by the way, I tell people sometimes, I say, when you start really following Christ, don't think that, that uh, you're on easy street. Satan will still come at you, but that's where we have Ephesians, put on the whole armor of God, where he will actually help us to fight against these things. Look at the next, um, now the, the, some of the, the last ones are things that we do bring our own defeat, uh, overloaded. But today, people, you know, we have more information kind of populating than the entire world had ever seen. Sometimes in just a matter of weeks, we produce more. I remember when I, in, in 99 when I was talking about terabytes because it would hold the whole Library of Congress. Now everyone has laptops with terabytes. And we're getting information and Tons of it, and fake news, and real news, and bad news, and good news, and funny news, and all of our minds. There's a reason why God wrote, be still and know that I am God. we got to turn a lot of that stuff off. we got to turn it all off and just sit with your spouse and have a cup of coffee and talk about the Lord. You wouldn't believe what it'll do. Say, so, well, my spouse doesn't really, uh, you know, doesn't follow the Lord, or that's, a, well, you can still turn it all off and just talk to God. Get a cup of coffee. Just talk. Go for a walk. Look at the, look at the stars. You know, just be still and know that he is God. All this other stuff, I mean, it really will crowd and bring confusion and bring anxiety and stress levels. Uh, the next one, no defined purpose, goals, or objectives. This is where you have to be in a fellowship believers, and you start to see that, wow, I need to start to set some goals. I want to I go on my first mission trip ever by 2019, or I want to, I uh, for the first time ever, I'm going to go uh, twice this year to the uh, Bonaire Youth thing, and I'm just going to go in there and just see what I can do to help out. Or I want to, for the first time ever, serve in some capacity. Um, goals for your family. I talk, we don't have time to get into all this. This is a whole separate thing. But uh, the next one, fixated on personal control. And people that I, I want to be in control of everything and start to realize that, no, God is in control. Don't be fixated on personal control. Fixate on yielding control to Jesus. Fix your eyes on him, what, the author and finisher of faith. Don't fixate on personal control. Fixate on giving up control to the Lord. 
uh, slowly adopting the world's philosophies and desires. You know, so many people have gotten themselves into debt, into all other issues because they've adopted the world's philosophies. I need this, I need that, I need this, I need that. And then they have stress because they don't have what everyone else has to keep up. All these things add. And they can, they can bring depression and all kinds of other things. We don't adopt the world's uh, philosophies. Um, and then the last one is unbelief. This is a, a, this, the core of it all is do we believe the promises of God or not? Jesus can be trusted. Does he really need, does he really need um, GlaxoSmithWellcom's help? Does he really need the pharma company's help? Which a lot of these things are doing a lot of damage to people in a lot of other ways. So they might solve one problem, they cost 10. So, you know, uh, a, lo a lot of these things are money, money driven. You've got to understand God doesn't want your money, He wants to heal you. All of these things, and, and again, I'm not against every clinical type thing. I'm simply saying that our first and primary uh, source of refuge is the Lord. So um, these, are, uh, these are things that... Uh, I'm going to give you a couple of verses um, that you might want to write down that uh, are, uh, have been really helpful to me. Um, Jeremiah 31.3 uh, is, is one. The Lord has appeared of old and said to me, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. That's a promise from God, that he's loved us with an everlasting love. Do we believe that or not? Again, this, this last one, unbelief. Second uh, Thessalonians 2.16, Our God and Father who has loved us and given us an everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. Good hope by grace. That's a promise from God. We can stand it. You know, there's an old song, Standing on the Promise of, of Christ My King. You know that one? It's an old hymn. Um, we often, uh, that, back to self-reliance for a second, we often try too hard in our own strength. God wants us to stop trying so hard. Stop trying so hard to please Him and abide in Him. That's what Jesus said, abide in Him. He didn't say, hey, make sure you... Uh, I want to make sure you do a fantastic job. He said, abide in me and you'll grow. We're not a factory, we're a garden. You know? Your corn plants this summer aren't going to say, I'm going to grow this year, I promise I'm going to grow. I'm going to push myself right out of the ground. No, they receive what they need to grow. We try too hard. We beat ourselves up about things when we say, Lord, I need your help. That's all God wants to say. Just say, I need your help, Lord. It's a very comforting uh, change of thought. In Psalm 121, uh, verse 8, says, The Lord will preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth even forevermore. Isn't that a great verse? God will preserve your coming out, your going in. That's a promise. You're going to make it. You know, Satan's like telling you, you're not going to make it. You're going to collapse. You're going to fall apart. But if we give our lives, oh, Lord, God says, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be preserved. You're going to make it. You're going to grow. Um, I love Isaiah chapter 40. Let me see. Let me go to, I'm going to go here. We're going to wrap up at this. Um, and I'll come back to Isaiah 40. But this is, um, these are the areas of victory. So God wants us to have victory. Believe in his word. Be hearers of the word, not just doers. Or be doers of the word, not just hearers. The problem in the church, a lot of people hear it, but doing it, applying it. Be hearers and doers. 
again, when you read the word daily, uh, sometimes writing out a scripture will really be helpful to you. Write out, write out, you see a verse that, wow, that, that ministered to me. Write it out. Write out the verse. Write in your Bible. Mark that Bible up. Highlight it. Date it. Because you'll go back and say, wow, uh, I was up for three hours on night watch tonight. Got this verse. Date it and go back. It'll minister to you in a big way. How many of you agree with that? You know, you've done that. You said, wow, that really, boy, I, I go back and I look at, at times where I was feeling down or discouraged and I write in my Bible, but then God will use that to turn it around. The Word of God is supernatural. It's the only supernatural thing you'll run into in this world is the Word of God. Uh, cling to God's Word. There's so many verses about meditate. You know, again and again, the, the Word says to meditate on, which means to chew on it. Think about these. You find verses that you can meditate on. Uh, one that I love to meditate on is one that many of you probably know. Uh, it's in Isaiah chapter 40. And it says, and this is again another promise. It's a great one to meditate on. Those that wait um, upon the Lord, starting in verse um, Isaiah chapter 40, starting verse 29, it says, He gives power to the weak. And those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. Isn't that great? Some of you older saints are going to thrive. It says, even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. See, God is not impressed by physical strength. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Uh, that ha that verse has encouraged that passage has encouraged me many times uh, that um, we will make it through. Um, uh, my next one here. Uh, pray uh, to start the day and and then throughout the day. Learn to get just give God thanks. Uh, learn to say, Lord, thank you for this. Lord, that's an amazing. Uh, sky that I'm looking at, you know, riding down the road, just learn to talk to God. Just talk to Him about anything. Uh, he wants, when you get to heaven, you're going to talk to Him forever. We're just practicing now. And these kind of things. By the way, the more you're talking to God, you can't worry or be in despair. You could not be in the presence of Jesus and be in despair. The only way you could be in despair is to be away from Jesus. Anytime Jesus appeared and the disciples were freaking out. They calmed down because they're like, whew, he's here. Where have, they would say something like this, where have you been? Did you not see the storm? Did you not, see, did you not know what we were going through? But if we stay by him and stay with him, you know, Satan has to flee. He can't, uh, he can't continue to cause these thoughts and everything else that come into our head. Uh, the next one. Start thanking God constantly. Again, just thanking God all the time. Thanking Him for things. And by the way, you, you get to the place where you'll start to thank Him for even things that buffet you, and then He really says, all right, now you're really getting it. And they won't, but, and, and those things lose their power over you when you start saying, Lord, I thank you that this is making me more like you. Satan hates that. Drives him bananas. He, he runs from us when we start thanking and praising God. Uh, get into fellowship immediately. Start to say, Lord, I'm going to start going and being with other believers. Increase time with other believers. What made the apostles strong? They were with other apostles. What made the disciples strong? They were with other disciples. That's why he sent out two by two. He didn't send lone rangers. 
Now they have it with other people. Praise God continually, worship Him in song. Uh, I wish I had time to read all these passages in Second Chronicles. I don't know if I marked that one. Um, talks about singing and setting ambushes. Uh, I, I'll probably come up with a scriptural list that I'll post. Uh, we'll get posted, I should say. We'll get posted to the Facebook site about a bunch of verses that you guys can write down. So if you're trying to write them all down, that's okay. Uh, share what you um, are dealing with with someone else. Get into relationships where you can share. By the way, the power of your despair, of your anxiety, of your fear is obliterated when you say, Satan, I don't, I don't care, I'm going to tell, tell people who are praying for me. Because he likes, if it's in your mind and you have to battle it all by yourself, he's got you right where he wants you. You start sharing it with, I'm not sharing it with everyone that, 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 that doesn't even care, but you share with a couple of godly people and say, would you pray for me? Would you pray with me? What is it? And it, it takes a little humility to say, here's what I'm dealing with. Now, some people blab everything on Facebook. Hey, I'm dealing with this and everything else. Um, I don't know that that's the healthy, I don't think it's the healthy thing to do. I think it's really to talk to someone that really cares and say, yes, I'll pray with you. They grab your hand or pray over you and say, Lord, we pray for victory in this area. And share it with, again, Satan uh, wants, wants you to think that you have to handle all this. Uh, but God's given us the body of Christ. Uh, and then number nine here, um, you, you do have to set disciplines for the body. You know the ver verse in 2 Timothy, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You know what the sound mind means? It says a disciplined mind. We actually have to discipline helps us overcome darkness. So how does that work? You remember the story of Joseph? Joseph was minding his own business when his brothers threw in a pit. Now, if you're claustrophobic or something, that alone would frighten you to death that you got thrown into a dark pit. He gets thrown in a dark pit, then he gets sold into slavery. How would you like to be handcuffed for a long period of time from Israel all the way to, uh, uh, down to Egypt? Then, he gets, then he's a slave. Then he gets thrown into a dungeon, and he has to live in a dungeon. Joseph... Not, he did a couple of things that actually are a great lesson for all of us to come through darkness. God gives us real people to actually follow their path. Joseph kept thanking God, and he stayed disciplined in serving God. And because he kept serving God, his mind didn't get warped by the circumstances. That makes sense? Joseph stayed disciplined and said, well, if I'm in the dungeon, I'm going to sweep this corner. I'm going to sweep that corner. I'm going to clean up over here. And just by staying busy doing the God's work, his mind was stayed upon the Lord. And he could actually survive bad circumstances. And uh, the prophet Jeremiah, God came to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah kept saying, I'm a youth, I'm a youth, I'm a youth. And God says, stop saying that. I already know your circumstances. Stop saying your circumstances. Instead, just praise me and follow me, and get about the work of doing. Many of you, God wants you to go help other people. That's in the list, by the way. Uh, simplify our lives is the next one. Uh, remake our schedules as Christ gives us, you know, hey, this is important to me. Look at our lives say, well, you know, there, there was a time that it became legalism. There was a time in America where Everyone in the church thought, I need to be at church Sunday, I need to be at church Wednesday. That was a, there was a time in America. Now, 
we laugh at that. And if our laughing at it, it better be from God's perspective or God will hold us accountable and say, you know, you laugh at that like, oh, they're so legalistic. But God says, what are you replacing? What, have you replaced it? Are you out feeding the poor that night? Are you out witnessing on the streets? Are you in the prisons? Are you in the hospitals visiting people? No, I'm watching The Voice. God says, I don't want to hear you laughing about it being legalistic anymore. Because you, if you're, going to not, if you're not going to be with the brothers and sisters in Christ, but yet you have something that's really just what we want to do. You know what I'm saying? So I, I'm not saying we go back to legalism. Because there's real reasons. There's time, you know, if, if there's something that needs to be done. Man, I, the only night for our kids to have piano lessons is Wednesday night. Fine, for that season, take the piano lessons. But when the piano lessons are done, get back with the people of God. Does that make sense? Because God's going to look at what we really, he's not going to say, well, you know, that was pretty legalistic in the 80s, so we're not going to go back there again. I don't come to church on Wednesday night out of legalism. I come because I need to be with the body of Christ. Even if I wasn't a pastor, I would be, matter of fact, when I wasn't a pastor, I was there on Sundays and Wednesday unless I was traveling, period, or unless I was sick. So again, we have to reorient our lives to God says, this is important to me because it's going to make you stronger in all the other areas. And God says, if you do these things, Joseph lived a disciplined life, not a legalistic life. Joseph lived a disciplined life. Paul said he disciplined his body. He disciplined himself, not, by the way, the word disciple, what's the, what's the core of disciple? Discipline, right? We, disciples in the word discipline. So uh, God wants us to become disciplined It actually it actually calms our mind to become spiritually disciplined. Um, tell Jesus often that you love him. By the way, if you're telling Jesus you love him, Satan can't stand it. You start telling Jesus you love him. He doesn't like the name Jesus anyway. So you keep saying, Jesus, I love you. By the way, and the more you say, Jesus, I love you, you can't just get into sin. You start telling God you love him on a regular basis, God, I love you and I want to love you way more. And even when I say I love you, it's not as much as I want it to be. God says, but you're going to get there because you're doing it. That works. Number 12, start serving other people. Like I said, you know, we've got one of the best ways to come out of anxiety and out of despair and out of depression is to help people that are in it and to come alongside them and say, and there's tons of people in way worse shape than everyone in this room. Do you believe that? I mean, do you really believe that? Because sometimes our selfishness, we, we, act, we say we believe it, but we really don't. And the only way to fix it is not to say I believe it, is to actually truly go start serving people. Not to say I'm going to do it next year, I'll get around to it by 2019, but truly say, if you can't think of something, talk to me and other people. We'll help find you a place to go serve people. I guarantee we can help find you a place to literally go minister to people. And sometimes, you know, say, well, I, I just have a bunch of small children. I've got this, I've got that. Uh, but you might need someone that can just workshop with you and say, well, how do we figure out where you could touch some the area that actually lets you release some of what God's done in your life for someone else? It really is a powerful thing. And then the last one, uh, be generous. Jesus was generous to the point he gave his life. Start to give of your time, of your talent, treasure. We've got a couple things going on. I wish I could even tell you right now, but I've got to keep them quiet. We've got a couple things going on that are going to blow some people's socks off. And I guarantee you, when some of these things come to fruition, the people that were part of it, their joy in helping other people will be so much more than they ever, when they got their, 
best thing for them, right? Oh, I got a Tiffany's box. That's exciting for girls, but um, I live in a house full of girls. They love a Tiffany's box. They don't have any, but they would love one. But, uh, but I'm just saying that that, and even though that would be cool and all, when you give to other people and you see other people blessed, it really brings joy. To, Jesus said it's better to give than receive. It really is better to give than receive. So.